You're listening to Reach MD, the channel for medical professionals. Hi, this is Dr. Ann Goldberg, president of the National Lipid Association, and I'd like to welcome you to Lipid Luminations, hosted by Dr. Larry Caskell, presented by the National Lipid Association. My guest today is Dr. William Harris, Director of Metabolism and Nutrition Research at Sanford Research at the University of South Dakota, and he's also the Research Professor of Medicine at the Sanford School of Medicine at the University of South Dakota, and the developer of the Omega-3 Index. Dr. Harris, welcome to Lipid Luminations. Thank you. Well, there's a recent study that just came out about fish oil and its benefits on decreasing coronary calcium and potentially decreasing events called the ERA jump. Can you tell us a little bit about that trial? Yeah, that's a study that uh, I must admit I did not do. I just wrote an editorial about the paper, um, so I'm at least a little familiar with it. It was a study that was done uh, in three cohorts of men, Japanese in Japan, Japanese in Hawaii, and white men in Pennsylvania. And these guys are all the same age. They're all post-World War II from, from a Japanese point of view. That's important in, in age. And what was interesting about the study, they looked at the cardiovascular risk factors among all three of these groups. And they found that, somewhat my surprise, that the Japanese in Japan had pretty much the same lipid risk factors as the f- folks here in America, whether in, whether in Hawaii or in Pennsylvania. So there was not much difference about their lipid risk factors, blood pressure, tended to be even a little higher among the Japanese in Japan. Smoking rates were higher. Diabetes was slightly higher. But when they looked at coronary calciums and intermedial thickness, they found less atherosclerosis in the Japanese in Japan. And so the question was, well, why is that? And so they went on to measure serum levels of omega-3 fatty acids and found that, voila, the difference between these groups was a glaring difference in omega-3 levels. Now, this was not an outcome study, was it? No, it was not. It was really just a cross-sectional a three-cohort study. Did any of these people have pre-existing disease, as far as we knew? It's a cohort that has been followed. They may have included people who already had an event. So there was a very high correlation association between omega-3 levels, and calcification and IMT. So I would like for you to tell us why that is. The reason why I I think that is is that a chronic uh, long-term intake of omega-3 fatty acids, that what I think with the Japanese level, which is around approximately one gram a day of EPA and DHA, the two fish oil omega-3s, I think a long-term intake of that produces a chronically less inflamed environment. And then that, I think, probably adds up to long-term reduction in vascular disease. Well, there's a lot of mechanisms that you're aware have been postulated how omega-3 fatty acids can reduce coronary risk. There's decrease in erythromogenicity. There's decrease in thrombogenicity. There's decreases in triglycerides. Do you think that there's something going on with perhaps adhesion molecules, nitric oxide? What do you think is the mechanism that is really giving these fish oils the bang for their buck? If we're talking about atherosclerosis, not if we're talking about sudden cardiac death, I think we're talking about antiarrhythmogenic effects, which is 
omega-3 fatty acids become incorporated into the, the lipid bilayer membrane of the heart, stabilizing the heart against a ischemic stress that would, in other situations, throw it into a VTAC and a VFib post-MI and reduce the risk of those fatal arrhythmias. That's been shown in animals, and there's evidence in humans that that's what they seem to do at fairly low intakes, at the intake that the Japanese are, are typically taking around a gram a day. I think that's probably, of course, in, in this particular study, they're not looking at, at sudden death or arrhythmics, arrhythmic mechanisms at all. They're looking at atherosclerosis deposition of plaque. And as a function of the anti-inflammatory effect, there is less adhesion molecule expression. I think there probably is more nitric oxide, so slightly more nitric, nitric oxide released. We've looked at vascular endothelial function with omega-3, and that's improved. And so in the supplementation study, this is a chronic life, or, you know, a lifelong situation for them. And I think that's an important point. That It may be that it takes years and years of the right dose of omega-3, a, a nutritionally achievable dose, by the way. One doesn't need prescriptions or one doesn't need supplements to do this if you're willing to eat some fish. That, I think, is what it probably takes is a long time of uh, chronic exposure. If you've just tuned in, you're listening to Lipid Luminations on ReachMD XM157. I'm your host, Dr. Larry Kaskill. My guest today is Dr. William Harris of the Sanford School of Medicine and developer of the Omega-3 Index, and we're talking about omega-3 fatty acids. Bill, how do you measure someone's blood omega-3 level? Is there a widely available test? No, there's not a widely available test right now, and there's no widely standardized method of doing this, which is slowing things down. In our laboratory, the way we measure it, we measure it in red blood cells. We, we take a purple top tube, uh, actually green top, blue top, any tube that gives you plasma and liquid red cells. We take the red cells out, we treat them with some reagents, we analyze them in a gas chromatograph, and we come up with what we call the omega-3 index, which is the amount of EPA and DHA in the red cell membrane as a, as a percent of the total fatty acids in the membrane. Have you measured your own? Yeah, I'm, my blood is the high control for our assay, so I, <laughs> I'm, I'm running around 10% EPA, DHA. And what we've proposed, and we've got some experimental evidence to support this, is that a omega-3 index of around 4% is pretty typical of Americans, and that's, that's the low end. That's where you don't want to be. The Japanese are around 8 to 9%. Omega-3 index, and we think that's that there's good evidence that that's the target people would want to shoot for if they want to raise their omega-3 to some level, and that would be the one to go for. Bill, is there any reason why someone should not take this? It sounds like it's a win-win, that there's no real downside. There really is no downside to, uh, certainly to increasing your omega-3 intake from eating the oily fish, the, the salmon, the mackerel, the rainbow trout, the herring, etc., sardines, albacore tuna, the, those kinds of fish. Yeah, and when we say oily fish, some people think you're talking about deep fat fried fish, and that's not the idea to stay away from those. They don't have much omega-3. But there really isn't a, people have been concerned about bleeding, but they're really on careful examination of the literature and surgically intervention studies are not finding any increased risk of bleeding of people who are on omega-3, even if they're also on anticoagulants at the same time, it doesn't make a difference. How did you get interested in this topic? 
I did a postdoctoral fellowship in the late 70s in a laboratory in Portland, Oregon, where we were trying to understand the effects of different oils on cholesterol levels. We knew vegetable oils were polyunsaturated and that they lowered cholesterol, but nobody really looked at fish oils, which are also polyunsaturated, in a different way with the omega-3 instead of omega-6. And we wondered if the fish oils lowered cholesterol, and we found out that they were just like the vegetable oils in lowering cholesterol, but they were also very good at lowering triglycerides. Now, you and I both know that taking a high dose of fish oil will actually raise your LDL a little bit. If you're hypertriglyceridemic. Okay, so it kind of speaks a little against the lipid hypothesis of of heart disease and more towards the inflammatory hypothesis that this is really a chronic inflammatory disease gone haywire. I'm not sure it speaks against the lipid hypothesis in the same sense that taking aspirin lowers the risk for heart attacks, but it doesn't lower your LDL. It doesn't mean that the lipid hypothesis isn't true. It just means it's yes, but there's other things too. And this is one of those other things like aspirin that's doing something that's completely unrelated to lipoproteins and as aspirin does uh, to reduce risk for events. Are there any other oils that you researched or have come across that also have beneficial effects? Nothing like this. Nothing like with the omega-3s where you have actually large randomized controlled trials showing cardiovascular benefit. These are the only oils I know of that that's ever been done for. And what about the the Lyon heart study where we looked at olive oil? Well, I didn't really look at olive oil on that one. In that study, they used a uh, they provided a margarine to the group that had canola oil that was provided some alpha linolenic acid, small amount. But the Lyon heart study, I, I do not consider an omega three study or even an oil study. That's a complete dietary pattern change from fruits and vegetables to the kind of meat they ate, to the amount of cheese they ate. To, I mean, everything changed. So that's a whole diet plan. That, And I don't think you can pick out one piece of that, one aspect of that, and say, well, it was the alpha-linolenic acid or it was the, it was the vegetables that did it. You, you, you can't, it's a whole package. And so that study is, is useful only insofar as it shows a major change in diet to a Mediterranean style. Bill, are there any primary prevention trials or studies that show the benefits of fish oil? I mean, I know there's been a lot of secondary preventions, with, which have all been very positive. Yes, and uh, recently, another study from Japan called the JELIS trial, J-E-L-I-S, did have, it was 18,000 people randomized to EPA alone or not. Uh, for some reason, they don't believe in placebos in Japan. So it was essentially open-label trial. About three-fourths of the people in that trial were primary prevention. They had hypercholesterolemia, and they were all on a statin. But uh, three-fourths of them had not had an event yet. And so the omega, just the EPA added on top of a Japanese diet already, which is a kind of a remarkable finding did reduce risk for events. Uh, it wasn't statistically significant. It was the same effect size as was seen with the people who were secondary prevention, because the secondary prevention people had such a much higher risk than the primary, about an 18 or 19 percent reduction in events for both the primary and the secondary group. It's just that the, secondary, the primary group was not large enough to show it would have a statistically significant p-value. 
And I guess the last question is for a physician listening to this show, if he has any patient that has documented coronary artery disease or documented carotid disease, would you say it is standard of care that that patient should be on some fish oil? It is certainly not de facto standard of care. It is the recommendation of the American Heart Association that that patient should be on about a gram of omega-3, long-chain omega-3, but it is as far from uh, standard of care. It certainly has not uh, been the subject of a heart association cardiology uh, college conference to establish it as a guideline. I'd like to see that day come, but it's not come yet. Well, Dr. Bill Harris of the Sanford School of Medicine, thank you very much for coming on Lipid Luminations. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Lipid Luminations, presented by the National Lipid Association. For more information, please visit www.lipid.org. Reach MD, the channel for medical professionals.